the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Quote.com slash commercial. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
have you made the decision to utterly, totally, and completely sell out your life to Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Have you decided that Jesus is first in your life and everyone and everything else is secondary? Have you decided that you will obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you? Or have you been distracted by all kinds of interests that are abundant around you as an American? Have you made the decision that Jesus is first in your heart and in your life, in your behavior, and in your words? Have you been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you speak in tongues as they did in the New Testament church? Do you expect to see signs and wonders, the healing of the sick, the restoration of the brokenhearted? Do you expect to see in your life, in your circumstances, the same thing you see and read when you turn and read the book of Acts in the Holy Bible? Have you allowed the culture to contaminate your understanding of the book of Acts. We have Jesus' powerful ministry coming to be baptized by John. We then have Jesus in the power of the Spirit led into the wilderness. And then he goes into Galilee preaching and working all manner of signs and wonders and miracles. Then he calls disciples and he commissions those disciples to go and do the same thing he's been doing. And then finally, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the way is open to heaven for us, if you please, to all become like Jesus and do the same work that Jesus did. Nothing short of that will bring about the kingdom of God. Had Jesus stayed, he would have been one lone person. But now he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in every person who sells out to him, who is crucified with him, who denies themselves. Every person who is willing to follow after Jesus and be baptized in the power of the Spirit. I ask a man this morning, a Christian man, a man I've known for some time, I said to him, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? He was honest. He thought for a moment. And then he said, no. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? We're ready today to pray with you, to talk with you, and to share more of this incredible story out of the walled city of Hong Kong by Jackie Pullinger. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, and with me in studio is my precious wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. 
we pray that this broadcast will be life-changing for you. It will be life-changing if you will do as we are sharing with you what you are called to do by Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Now, our number in studio is 877-534-0780. We are happy to talk with you and pray with you today. We're giving you this number at the very beginning so that you can call 877-534-0780. Again, 877-534-0780. Brother Kevin will answer. He'll put you through. But I want to warn you now. We're not looking for people who are contentious, who are filled with bitterness and rage. If you are, I'll address that and I'll end the conversation. We're wanting to talk with men and women who desire Jesus with all their hearts and who will humble their heart and follow after him. This story is so amazing of Chasing the Dragon by Pullinger. Now over 50 years, she has ministered in Hong Kong and now also in Malaysia, in the Philippines, in India, in other parts of the world. And always the story is the same. A man will come in the midst, a woman will come in the midst, a child will come in the midst of their sin. And they will choose to follow Jesus and be washed and made clean. They are then immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit, even as they're still heroin addicts or opium addicts, caught. But as they pray in their new language, they are released from their addiction. Their sick bodies are healed, tuberculosis, an enlarged liver, whatever the condition, they are healed and restored by the power of the blood of Jesus. It's time to be bold about Jesus, to be right up front and call men and women to follow after him. That's what we're doing today. We are calling you to follow Jesus, to be as serious about Jesus as you know we are, if you've been listening to this broadcast very long. We know it's time to go to the FM side of the dial. We're praying that God will provide the funds for us to do that. Would you stand with us for the necessary resources to be able to transfer from the AM to the FM side of the dial? The marketplace in Washington is not AM, it's FM. AM doesn't reach in the inner city. It doesn't reach into these office buildings. It has a much smaller listening audience but it's also much more expensive. So stand with us, please, and pray. We know it is God who is about to open the way. Our number, 877-534-0780. We're reading from the book Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. 
And by the yeah. way, they can get that book by going on our webpage and clicking, and it will take them directly to Amazon where they can order that book. It's barnesandnoble.com, yes. Okay, Barnes and Noble. The, this book is a wonderful example when we talk about denying ourselves. It's always for the benefit of somebody else. It is not biblical self-denial to say, well, I like going outside when it's sunny, so I just won't go outside when it's sunny because I have to deny myself. That doesn't help anybody, and it's not virtuous, and it's not pleasing to God. It's legalism. But what we see here is this woman has literally given her life to reach these young boys and girls who have been pretty much written off by the rest of the society and even by many missionaries who've been in Hong Kong for some time. So we'll begin reading again. We're reading Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. She writes, Emerging from the dark city one night, I was in a thoughtful mood. My lifestyle was extraordinary in the sense that on no two days did I get up or sleep at the same time. I prayed a lot as I walked, for I found that I needed to talk to God all the time. That night, I reiterated a heartfelt prayer of thanks. Thank God I am not married. Thank God I've been left free to have time for other people's children. It would have been awful to have to phone up a husband and say, Put on the baked beans, dear. I've been held up. I was sharing a flat with a girlfriend named Stephanie at this time, and mercifully she never worried what time I came home. It was well past midnight when I climbed onto a minibus known as a 14-man bus on my way home to Jordan Road. My prayers were interrupted by the sight of a pathetic figure, a boy of about 15 who looked like a living skeleton. Huge, hideous eye sockets were dark in a yellowish-gray face. This child ghoul sat down in front of me, and I tried to think where I had seen him before. The bus lurched and grated through the small hours while I searched my memory until I remembered when I had first seen him. It was five years earlier, when I had first begun to go to the walled city. There was a large tea house outside where this small boy waited to open taxi, bar, taxi doors for a few cents tip. I noticed that he did not even get to keep all of this, as there was an older beggar, also in rags, who obviously controlled the pitch. The boy looked desperately sick. Clearly, he was sleeping in the streets. Since I could not then speak the language, I asked Chinese friends to write me notes to him, offering to meet him at a particular place or clinic and get help for him. What I did not know was that he had been a drug addict since the age of 10 when his stepfather threw him out of his home. He had never kept any rendezvous, but I had continued to pray for him. So here he was again. I thanked God for bringing him back. Now that I could speak Chinese, I had another chance to help him. He got off the bus in Mongok, a busy area full of bars, ballrooms, and dreary nightlife. I got off too and followed him. He was carrying a filthy red plastic tooth mug that he used for begging. I tapped him on the shoulder and introduced myself, suggesting that we go to eat the seasonal rice dumpling, which hung from the street stalls during the Dragon Boat Festival. 
the poor boy was terribly embarrassed. He hid his tooth mug behind his back, and as we proceeded to the street, st street stall, he dropped it into a pile of rubbish. He looked more and more uncomfortable as we ate. It was clearly time for his next fix. His mind, as well as his body, was rotted by the amount of heroin he had consumed. He understood nothing of what I was saying. There was no point in telling this young boy named Atsoi about Jesus, for he could not concentrate long enough to take it in. I thought that if we could find help for his addiction and his mind cleared, then I could tell him. For the next few weeks, I used to meet Atsoi at all times of the day and night. He never slept in the same place, and I was frightened to lose him in case he was arrested. With track marks all down the veins on both arms, he was an easy target for arrest. Worse still, I discovered that he was holding people up daily to pay for his habit, and he was doing this while on probation, having already been in prison for drug offenses. Twice I forced him to begin keeping appointments with his probation officer again. I was obsessed with helping Atsoi. The more I saw of this pathetic character, the fonder of him I grew. Finally, Pastor Chan agreed to take him into his Christian Drug Rehabilitation Center. I was overjoyed. This was the answer to my prayers. We were going to change Atsoi's life. As he had a little time to wait before going to the center, I began to give him money. It was not much, only five Hong Kong dollars a day. I felt a little uneasy about this, but he needed that minimum amount to support his habit. If I did not give it to him, he would have been forced to mug and steal, so I convinced myself that I was acting rightly. It was only for a few days, anyhow. At last, the day came for his departure to Pastor Chance. I went out to the market and bought him a pair of shorts, a vest and a t-shirt, some underclothes, flip-flops, and even swimming trunks, because Pastor Chance Center was by the sea. Finally, I bought him a toothbrush, flannel pajamas, new jeans, and an extra shirt. I thought this was like what a mother would feel, and I felt very tender toward Atsui, as I wrapped all these into a neat parcel ready for him to collect. I had asked him to come around to my flat to have a bath before he set off. No Atsui. It was two hours after he should have arrived, and there was no sign of him. Perhaps he was having a last fix somewhere. Then, just as I was wondering whether he would come at all, he arrived. He was filthy, but by now there was no time to bathe. Stephanie had a camera, and we wanted to take a picture of him before he went. He snarled at once, I'm not going to be one of your film stars, he said. No before and after pictures of me. I'm not an exhibit. He went off in a very surly frame of mind but I did see him safely into Pastor Chan's hands. I went to bed and slept nearly 20 hours. For the first time in weeks, I could sleep easily. I was exhausted but relieved. Thank God that Atsoi was someone else's problem now. Pastor Chan could teach him about Jesus and help him to grow up. Now I could go on to find the next one. I was awakened by a telephone call. Atsoi had run away. He could not stand the pain of withdrawal and had tried to smoke his blanket to ease the craving. 
The others tried to persuade him to pray, but he refused and slipped away into the night. He went on to a neighboring village to steal blankets and money. The center staff tried to find him to persuade him to come back, but when they eventually caught up with him, he refused to return. There was nothing more they could do. That was the end of the matter. It was as if a part of me had died. I felt completely shattered and lay down on the stone floor and wept. I cried all day, unable to move off the floor. As I lay there, I thought it was the end. I did not know what more I could have done. I had given Otsoi everything I had. I had given him all my time, my love, my money, my food, and I had tried to tell him about Jesus. I had passed him to other Christians, but it had not worked. I had failed. I did not feel angry at God, but very disappointed and perplexed by the whole episode. I could not understand why he let me get involved with Otsoi in the first place if he was not going to work out. At last, I gathered strength to pray. No more of those, please, God. No more drug addicts because I can't bear it. I had almost enough love for one person, and I gave him all of it. It wasn't enough, and I don't think I've got any more. You know, I, I listened to this, Alexandra. Amazing how she would pour out her love for this boy who had never been loved and who didn't care if he ever was loved. And he needed a fix, not Jesus. He didn't understand that Jesus would deliver him. I wonder, as you listen, do you need Jesus? Or are you full of everything else that you think you want? Satisfying yourself with your job, your family, your stuff, your entertainment, your television, your sports. Do you really want Jesus? Let's ask the question another way. If you've tried to quit drugs and you haven't been able to get through the withdrawal, feel free to call 877-534-0780 and we'll pray for you. Alcohol, tobacco, drugs, pharmaceuticals, or just a hard heart. I'm astonished by her love and her compassion. She laid it all on the line. And if you're not any of those things we just identified, if you're not stumbling over any of those things, who have you talked to this week? Who have you talked to about Jesus? Who have you prayed with? Who have you been bold in calling them to serve Jesus? Have you? Or have you been quiet? Our phone number is 877 877- Five three four zero seven eight zero. She continues, The next morning, I got onto a bus to go to my Chinese lesson. Hong Kong buses do not allow one the luxury of choosing a seat. I was wedged in with the other 40-odd standing passengers when 
out of the corner of my eye, I saw a mentally handicapped boy. I did not want to look at him, so I turned around. And there I was facing another drug addict. I could only shut my eyes and pretend that they were not there. It would not hurt if I couldn't see them. God, I'm not looking because I don't want to go through all the pain again, I prayed. I didn't believe that you would, I did believe that you would help, but it didn't succeed. Why not? I thought back to the time when I was walking through the walled city and first learning about addicts. In one street, there were over a hundred people openly smoking heroin. Every single street seemed to have the emaciated wrecks. It would be worth my whole life if you would use me to help just one of them, I prayed. Slowly as I recovered from Osoy, I saw more clearly my mistakes in dealing with him. I had tried to give him everything. I had even prayed to God to save him, although in reality I was trying to save him myself. I wanted Osoy off drugs, but he was not desperate enough to want it for himself, especially when I subsidized his habit. I had not dared to take Osoy off drugs and through withdrawal myself. This was before I'd seen Winston come off opium miraculously. I was convinced that he needed extra care and that an expert care I fixed him up with, and it did not work. I was shattered. Later, Pastor Chan took me to tea. He had bravely walked a lone path in Hong Kong by opening a farm for rehabilitating addicts in the new territories. And without medical assistance, he brought them through withdrawal. Then they continued to heal and grow strong in Christ because he gave them 18 months of discipline with love. Many of his graduates became church workers and counselors in government and volunteer agencies, while government-supported drug centers had impressive statistics. I'd never met any addicts who had been through them and stayed off drugs. Pastor Chan's men were the only ones I'd ever known personally who were still drug-free. He had slowly built up his program through experience and heartbreak. So it was very comforting when he said, Miss Pullinger, you will make a very good worker because you care. Social workers are taught not to be involved with their cases, but I knew that I, that had I not been so close to the people concerned, I could not have stayed. Osoy's failure taught me that I was not brave or nice enough to take on such a job simply because it was a worthwhile project. I could not imagine how drug workers could tackle their depressing tasks without God. And I had a deep respect for them. But I knew that my own resources had run out. Despite my prayers for no more addicts, however, it was not the end of my dealing with them, but merely the beginning. I found that I could care for them again with God's love. As my acquaintance with the triads grew, 
It seemed as if every other one was on drugs, because they were so cheap and easy to obtain. The heroin at that time was undiluted with additives and was extremely potent. In fact, the U.S. government wanted its servicemen visiting Hong Kong on their rest and recreation trips from Vietnam, warned them that if they injected what seemed to be a normal dose, they could overdose and die. One night, I visited a heroin den. It was in a large tin shed on the outskirts of the city, but it operated with the knowledge of the police. It was a filthy place with long, low, rough tables at which were seated what appeared to be effigies. I felt I had invaded a devil's banquet, a weird and silent meal. Each table was ruled over by a host. For fifty cents, he provided the screws of toilet paper, the tin foil, and the cardboard funnels necessary for chasing the dragon. Few Chinese addicts injected heroin. They only did so when their physical need was greater than their resources. They were afraid of overdosing. They could remember the days when each morning the corpses of dead addicts were piled by the single toilet, ready for collection. Among the fifty-odd bodies sucking in their horrid delight sat a boy in his early teens. His skin was pale and waxen, and his strength had died. His girlfriend, who looked about fourteen, sat beside him and supported him in her arms as he inhaled his poison. It was a peculiarly intimate pose, and I was touched until I remembered that this girl had to sell her body to support her man. I looked at the others present, knowing that every man there would have to pay for his habit this way unless he stole or pawned his family's belongings. It was a degrading scene, but I was fascinated and attracted. I felt the pull of the drug that every potential addict knows and which defies logic. He knows it kills. He knows it leads to addiction and depravity. He knows all the arguments with his head, but he still has to try it. And having tried once, he has to continue until he is part of the mystique that drew him. Every addict has a love-hate relationship with his drug. His mind despises it and its hold over him. His body longs for it when deprived for too long and cheats his mind into seeing it as a salvation. No one ever knows when he crosses the line from playing with drugs to being dependent on them. One novice vomits the first time and tries again to see whether it improves. Another feels little effect and imagines that he can take it again quite safely. He starts with a small dose, but what satisfies at first is soon not enough, and he needs to take more to prevent withdrawal pains. He takes bigger doses more and more often until he is arrested or dies. I felt the pull of the drug. It was attractive. It was demonic. When Winston came into the youth club and was set free from his opium addiction, God showed me that the battle with this dragon could be won. At that moment, I believed that Winston's experience should be possible for others if they were converted and filled with God's power. Very soon after, Ah Ping told me that his addicted friend wanted to come to our annual summer camp 
and I welcomed him readily. Ah Ming was a powerful triad member from Hong Kong Island, a cousin to this branch of the 14K. We met on the ferry that was taking us to Lama Island for the camp, but Ah Ming avoided shaking hands or talking to me. He was coming on his own terms. A couple of the English students, Tim and Nick, were to join us a few days later. But for the first two days of the camp, I had no men helpers, so I prayed, Please, God, send the right boys to the camp and keep the wrong ones away. Our campsite was at the top of a mountain, serene and beautiful. The only distressing factor in our one-hour walk up the hill was thirty-pound sack of rice, which I had to carry most of the way. The boys thought this was woman's work, and anyway, they were there to play, not to work. Years later, they became more helpful and protective, but I was still very much on trial at this point. The camp program was very strict, and the work details and the bedtimes carefully arranged, but it proved difficult to affect by myself. I slept with a few girls in tents, and the boys slept in an enormous dormitory. I could not go in to search their belongings or to turn out the lights. I realized that most of those 30 were triad members, and I began to feel uneasy. Still, I had prayed that prayer about keeping the wrong ones out. Ah Ming appeared outside the boys' dorm and saw me sitting out there in the dark with my hurricane lamp. He'd not expected that. Hmm, I do, or, uh, I do like looking at the stars, he improvised. Yes, I agreed, so do I. They're beautiful, aren't they? We sat there for more than three hours in very polite conversation, he was obviously longing to go off and take his drugs. Finally, I could not sit it out any longer, so I went to bed, and Ah Ming went to the other side of the mountain to take his heroin. I prayed that God would keep the wrong ones away, so I had to deduce that the boys who had come were sent by God. But taking drugs on a Christian camp, that was not quite what I had in mind. The missionaries had advised me that the way to build a church was to work on one boy at a time. When he was a Christian and doing well, then you could work on another one until the house was full. I'd done it completely backward. Had landed with a dormitory full of gangsters who were running who was running whom i was not sure i began to think that the missionaries were right two days later ah ming was having run out of his drug supply he sent a brother to me who announced that there was an urgent matter that three of them had to attend to so they were leaving i intended to argue this but since the rest of us were having morning service they escaped I sent Nick to chase after them. He was an enormous six-footer. That he could not speak a word of Chinese was greatly to his advantage, for the wily addicts had invented a very good explanation as to why their departure was imperative. Fortunately, Nick could not understand them, so they continued to walk and he continued to follow. They walked over three hills, and all they could hear was this Englishman repeating, You must come back. 
You must come back. You must come back. And Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But no way were these three sick addicts going to return and come back. The craving for heroin was so strong that they would have climbed a hundred mountains or even killed someone in order to get the ferry back to their supply. Meanwhile, back at the camp, we were praying for their return. Without knowing why they did so, the three fleeing boys stopped dead. Then they lit cigarettes and began to retrace their steps. When they reappeared with Nick on top of our mountain, they looked very sheepish. They could not explain this prodigal turnabout even to themselves. However, when I suggested to Aming that we should chat for a while, he nodded as if he had been expecting this all along. It was pouring rain, and we were forced to seek shelter in one of the two-man army tents. Poor Aming did not want a lecture. He was feeling intense discomfort, but he could not leave the tent because of the downpour. It had reached monsoon intensity. I'm sorry, Ah Ming, I began. I know you're feeling lousy, but I'd like to show you something that will help you. In the earth, I drew three crosses. I know this sounds silly, but I want you to imagine that you could actually see all the wrong things that a man has done. We'll use this lapsop, rubbish, to represent them. I collected up some bottle tops, dirt, and waste paper lying around. Now when Jesus was crucified, two men were nailed on either side of him. They were thieves, probably murderers. I placed a heap of litter on the outside crosses, leaving Jesus' cross empty. Do you know why the middle one has no lapsa? I asked Aming. He looked rather bored and replied, yeah, Jesus never did no wrong, so he got no sins on him. I became a storyteller, pointing to the crosses. So you're the Christ, eh? mocked this man. Prove it. Call on your henchmen to save you now. Come on, then. You save yourself and save us, too, while you're at it. He was dying himself, but he still had plenty of spit. You shouldn't say that, objected the thief on the right cross. We've done wrong. We ought to die. This man ain't done nothing. And he turned to Jesus, saying, Lord, remember me when you get to your kingdom. Today you will be with me together in paradise, answered Jesus. While I said this, I lifted the heap of dirt off the right cross and placed it all on Jesus. You feel like throwing up now? I noticed Ah Ming looked gray and trembly. Well, Jesus felt like you do, only even worse, because as well as taking that man's sins, he took all the sins and all the pains the whole world ever felt on himself, so that we could be free of our sin and pain. For some time we both stared at the ground and the message drawn there. Then I said, The thief on that side is forgiven and now can live with God, but why not the other one? Weren't they equally bad? One believed and the other didn't, replied Aming. Ah That's all you have to do. I know you don't understand, but if you're willing to give all of your pain to him, Jesus can take it away right now. He's God's son, and that's why he died. Are you willing? 
Ah Ming was not very willing. His eyes were running, and he kept sniffing as he clutched his stomach. It was still raining outside. He was stuck in this tent in great distress. At last, he could not stand it any longer. Suppose, he said resignedly, suppose, well, suppose I try. It was enough. He then prayed clearly, asking Jesus to take away his pain if he were God. He asked for his wrong things to be taken away, too, so that he could start his life again. It stopped raining. Outside, I found my English friends. They joined me in the tent, and we laid our hands on Aming's head, telling him that Jesus would give him healing and power. When we prayed, Aming, too, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we all prayed together for a while. A week later, when we returned from the camp, Aming told me how God had answered those prayers in an extraordinary way. He had gone to bed feeling confused after praying and was not at all sure what had happened. As he slept, he had a strange dream. He dreamed that he was lying on a wooden bunk in a mountain hut. It was blowing a gale outside. Through the sounds of the wind, he heard a knocking at the door. And as he was alone in the hut, in a terrible state of drug withdrawal, he did not answer it. The knocking came a second time so he went to the window to see who it was. There he saw a man carrying a candle, which he thought very odd on a rainy mountain, but being in a foul temper, he went back to bed. The third time the knocking came, Ah Ming thought, poor man, he doesn't have anywhere else to go. He went to the door and opened it, and then he lay down again. The man, who seemed oddly familiar, came into the hut and over to the bunk bed, where he put down the candlestick. He asked Ah Ming to sit up and then gently put his hands on his head. The withdrawal pains disappeared. He never had any pain again. I knew he was a healer, said Ah Ming, reveling in his release from drugs. You know, as I listen to this, this is why we're reading this aloud to you. Not to entertain you, but to call you. To be just as serious about Jesus as Amen. And to know that he can take away your pain today. He can take away your addiction today. He can take away your sin today. He is willing. All of that junk from the two wicked men crucified beside Jesus Jesus took all of one man's rubbish on himself. The other man refused. Jesus is waiting on you today. He loves you. Do you know what it means to be loved by God? You can walk away from your pain and your brokenness, your emptiness, you can walk away from your sin today. And begin a new life. And you can begin a brand new life. A joyous life. A life of incredible peace and love. Will you do that? Will you say, Jesus, 
here's what I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Please take my pain, my emotional pain, my physical pain. Please take my pain and give me your healing. I can do that right now. Amen. Lord, I just know right now that there are men and women listening to this broadcast who are having a hard time believing that you're willing and eager to take their pain, that on Calvary's tree you suffered for it all, and that by your stripes we are healed. So, Lord, I plead for each listening, give them the courage to stand up and say, Jesus, here's my sin. This is what I've done. Forgive me. Please remove my pain. Remove the addiction from my heart. Restore me. I will follow you, Jesus. And I ask that right now, every person listening who is in that posture before you, I'm asking, will you baptize them now in the Holy Spirit? And will you give to them the gift of another language that they could speak with you? Lord, would you give them the gift of tongues? Would you move in power, O oh God, right now in the hearts, in the minds, in the bodies of those who are listening and give them the courage to bear testimony that this is what you've done for them, that they are free, that they are free. The pain is gone. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. What is your testimony? What do you need from Jesus? We're happy to pray with you. In the morning at this camp on the mountain, there was a whistle blowing. And early each morning, Jackie insisted that the boys do a version of physical calisthenics before breakfast. They all tumbled out of bed, and Ah Ping noticed that although Ah Ming had risen, he was groping around on the bunk, and he asked Ah Ming, What are you doing? I'm looking for the candle wax, replied Ah Ming. I'm looking for the candle wax. The dream had been so real that he was sure that Jesus really had been there. And after that, he joined in the morning exercise with great vigor, surprising all of his friends who knew that addicts going through withdrawal could not usually do push-ups. Jesus really had been there, Alexandra. And he had taken his pain and he had taken the heroin out of his system. He'd healed it. Amen. Later that day, Aming was baptized in the sea. And when all returned to the mainland, he was fit and very happy. Aming did not actually do any work himself, but had a job at one of the dockyards where he used to lie in a cabin all day while his younger brothers fed him heroin. 
On his first day back at work, he sat on the ferry and prayed while crossing the harbor. He prayed so hard that he did not notice when his passengers stole his flip-flops as a joke. Undaunted by that, he carried on to work and walked through the dockyard gates shoeless. When he saw a gang of rival triads armed for a fight with bottles and knives coming toward him, he instinctively took up the nearest weapons, two heavy iron poles, and waded into the attack. What I had not known when I prayed that God would send only the right ones to the camp was that Ameng had come to our camp especially to plan his strategy for the gang war. He had given his orders to some of his brothers at the camp, and now seeing him going into the attack, they ran to various street stalls and drew out meat choppers and, and millen knives to be used in the battle. Suddenly Amen thought, Help! I was praying about peace on the boat this morning. I can't fight. He dropped his poles, sat down in the middle of the road, and began to pray again. A few minutes later, he looked up to see his enemies surrounding him. They were all looking down at him curiously. What are you doing? their leader asked. I'm praying. I'm a Christian now. Would you like to hear about it? They nodded, dumbfounded. So Ameng told them what had happened to him. They were so impressed that several came to see me later and began to attend our meetings. Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today. We've been sharing the story of Jackie Pullinger, who now for over 50 years has ministered to every kind of wicked man or woman in Hong Kong. She's still there. She's still ministering in the midst of human filth, of human sin. And she has learned that Jesus is the deliverer, that we can't save anybody, but Jesus can save everyone who is willing to be saved. He wants you. You may be chasing the dragon of money, of prestige, of lifestyle. You may be chasing the dragon of heroin or pornography. You may be chasing the dragon of modern-day professional sports. Everything that draws your heart away from Jesus is a part of the dragon. And as long as you chase that dragon, the devil, you'll never be free and you'll never be happy. There will always be a great hole in your heart. And Jesus is here today to set you free with his love and his mercy and his grace. He's here to set you free. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, where Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel, and we've been reading from Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. You can join us again tomorrow from 1 to 2. We'll continue reading. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again 
as well as past messages. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. And we'd love to hear from you. Please write to us. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And, of course, the question is, will you stand with us? Do you see the necessity of this broadcast being sent out over the airwaves in Washington, D.C.? There's nothing else like it. This is a straight, honest, unvarnished call to follow after Jesus, to leave your life of sin and to be made righteous. We'd love to hear from you. You can go on our Facebook or our uh, our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can donate online or write to us at the National Prayer Chapel. Again, it's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I know the Lord has been speaking to some of you, and thank you for responding, and thank you for your giving. We love you. Jesus loves you. He wants to set you free. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.